Okay, well, I've been doing a series on uh, demonic activity, on demons. Like I said, you won't hear this everywhere, but I'm thankful that you get to hear it here because you need to hear it. Ignorance is not an excuse for when you're attacked. Just like ignorance is not an excuse if you get arrested by a cop and say you didn't know the speed limit. Well, guess what? You're responsible to know. And so ignorance is not an excuse for us in this. So last week we looked at how the thief or the robber can't get in through the door. The door is Jesus Christ. But he does try to get in through some other way. We also looked at three main ways demons try to gain access in our lives. And that's through generational sins, sins done by us, or sins done against us. So honestly, we all, I would say we all fall into the category of one of those things. Because the sins of the fathers are passed down to the third and fourth generation. We showed you last week, that's 30 people. Some of those were uh, you never got to meet because they were, you were not born yet. So it's possible they could have been involved with something that opened a door in your family line that caused possible demonic influence in that area. And I'm not telling you this to scare you, but to empower you that things don't have to necessarily stay the way they were. Things can get better. Amen. So today we're going to look at three stories from the Bible that teach us what to do and also teach us what not to do in the area of deliverance. Okay. So some of these are, are I'm just telling you, some of these stories are, are funny, but they're weird. Some of them are weird. There's weird stories in the Bible, you know that? There's weird stories. Anybody know, read some? Okay, well, I, I thought of one right now, but I don't know if you'll find it weird or what, but I know some of David's men, uh, this is a weird one, they beat this guys in battle, and then after they mooned them. That's weird. It's funny. It's in the Bible. It is. Other ones cut the seat of their pants out them and sent them back home with no, no pants, seat in their pants. It wasn't in my notes. I just thought, when I read those things, I laugh. I'm like, oh, my gosh, should you imagine that? you got to walk all the way home, and you have nothing covering you back there. So uh, there's a lot of there's details that the Bible puts in there that are sometimes funny. They really are. So some of these are funny, some not so much for the ones involved. But we're going to start the first one about the seven sons of Sceva. You guys heard this story before? I know you have. We're looking at Acts 19, 11 through 20. This is an amazing passage of scripture, actually. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Say unusual miracles. These are unusual, okay? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons, not for, for, not for a charge, not for calling in to somebody and saying, you give me 50 bucks or $77 in 77 minutes. Here. Not that God couldn't do that. I don't want to be that guy, person's judge. But Paul, it doesn't show here that Paul charged money for these prayer aprons, does it? Just making a statement there. So anyway, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now that's wild. I can't think of another story where demons actually came out of people because they touched Paul's hanky. Usually it's they laid hands on them, or they com Jesus commanded them, or something like that happened. But here, they just mailed him a hanky or delivered it through the local post office service or some guy that's walking through the neighbor's house, gave him this hanky, and next thing you know, they're getting healed of diseases, and demons are coming out of people. Wouldn't you like to see that? You're thinking right now, I know one I want to send to so-and-so. I'm going to get first-class mail to that guy's house tomorrow. But um, it doesn't always work quite like that. But anyway, there's power that's transferable through the anointing of God through us into even cloths, material. Like Jesus, when the, the lady touched the hem of his garment, uh, anointing flowed through his clothing into her body and brought healing to her. Okay? So there really is no limit of what God can do. All right? So let's go on here. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying... We exercise you, <coughs> excuse me, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there was seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did this. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus, I know. And I'm adding this for facts, but Paul, I know, but who the heck are you? <laughs> who are you? I don't know who you are. Anyway, I think maybe they didn't talk like that. It was probably the, anyway, um, 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, beat the snot out of them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This is the number one reason why people don't want to sign up for the deliverance ministry. 
right here, this story. I'm telling you, it is. Because they're afraid, like, oh, my gosh, I may be one of those seven dudes there that got the snot kicked out of them, left home, running home, talking about naked again, ran home naked, beat up and bruised, and uh, that was a rough day for them. Funny story, <laughs> but it was a rough day for them. So um, often people who, often people don't want to get involved in deliverance because they're afraid that that might happen to them. But, you know, there's a key part of this story. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him. They said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. That's not a good deliverance ministry tactic for you to try, okay? One of the key points of you being in deliverance ministry, you actually have to know him. You have to have to know him. You have to know who you are in Christ. You have to know the authority of the believer that God's given you to help people get set free from things that are binding them. So these Jewish itinerant exorcists, the Greek used the words vagabonds, and they used to travel from town to town doing exorcisms on people as they needed to. Now, I don't know how successful they were. Obviously, they, the seven sons of Sceva were not very successful this particular day. But Jewish historians teach, uh, Jewish historian Josephus recounts incidents of possessed and exorcisms in the antiquities of the Jews. He says, in his description, exorcism involved burning herbs and immersing the possessed person in water. Aren't you thankful we don't do that anymore? Maybe that's why that guy got so ticked off and beat them up. Maybe these seven sons just kidding. <laughs> he like held him underwater, keep him down there till he dies, and all the demons are gone now. Like, yeah, they're gone. You killed them. But uh, that's church history is showing that that's how some of them did deliverance. They'd burn these special incense or something. I don't know. There's a certain smell these demons don't like or what. And um, but anyway, and then they would go and hold them underwater until they let them up. I don't know how long that would go for. Um, do you find that odd? <laughs> Thank God we didn't bring that into the New Testament today and doing deliverance. But it's also believed that some of the Jewish itinerant exorcists use music like David did with King Saul, which makes more sense to help um, get, bring relief to these people. But this day, the seven sons of Sceva tried something new, and again, it didn't work out too well for them. So I'm going to recommend you don't do what they did. The first thing I want to point out to you is from verse 13. It says that some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so not all of them, it also means there was more than seven of them that were doing this. So some of them took it upon themselves. They didn't go consult a leader. They didn't go ask their, uh, their fathers or the, the high priest or anyone, hey, is this a good idea? I'm seeing Paul do this. I'm seeing other people do this. It's amazing. I want to be involved in this ministry too. I think it's a good idea. They didn't do that. They said they took it upon themselves to go, let's say, hey, let's try this. Let's try this. Uh, not a good idea. And we, we thank God we have this story to learn from. So you don't have to do that yourself, right? Okay, you can smile or laugh or something. I mean, all right, it's going to, my iPad just went funny. Give me one second here. Um, yeah. So, here, okay. Next thing, they says, they took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus who Paul preaches. So these guys did that. So the three points I want to point out from this is, one, again, they took it on themselves. They did not seek counsel, and they did not know Jesus. Okay? So I want you to check those boxes off your list of why you cannot be involved in the deliverance ministry because you can ask counsel, you know Jesus, and uh, you don't have to take it upon yourselves. You have a situation where you think that someone in your family or friend needs deliverance, and they're a willing participant in this. You're not bringing them kicking and screaming, you know, that doesn't always work too well. Um, but you want to help, I would recommend you call me. Talk to me about it. We'll, we'll pray together, get some discernment. They've had those things. If it's, it is real demons, they've had them for a long time. A couple more days isn't going to kill them, all right? That might freak you out, but it isn't, okay? You don't have to do deliverance on so much's time schedule. You can do it on yours when you feel prepared and ready, all right? So, um, so that's a bad part of this story that happened, especially bad for the seven sons of Sceva, especially bad for the guy who needed the deliverance but really didn't get it because the guys didn't know what they were doing. But there's actually a good part of this story um, in verse 17. So right after all this happened, these guys got beat up, ran home naked. Great fear hit the area. And verse 17 says this, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. 
And many, many whom had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Amen. So, yeah, it didn't go well for the seven sons, but it went well for the kingdom either way. The kingdom still advanced, and these uh, people involved in witchcraft brought 50,000 pieces of silver. We don't know what kind of silver it was. It was the denarii or the drachma. But if it was the denarii, it was going to be worth 5.5 million today, and the drachma would be worth 1.5 billion. This wasn't just like, little. I'm going to just give you this stuff. They brought expensive stuff, and they burned it and destroyed it all because they realized that what they were involved with was evil. It was evil, not good. So uh, we have a similar story to this. We went to, to uh, Uganda. Uh, we were at a church in Kampala, and I just finished preaching a message on the biblical basis of healing, and people were really, they were getting healed all around the room. I was on stage, Dave, Mark, and John walking through the crowd, praying for needs as they came up. And as far as we could tell, everyone in the room was getting healed. At least it seemed to us. That's how we, it seemed like that. Um, so anyway, this one girl you guys kept praying for, and she had a headache, and it wasn't going away. And so I just, fi- I just finished this message, so my face's on, you know, cloud nine. I'm just like, ready to like, feel supercharged, like, bring that girl to me. This girl was 21 years old. She was a, had been a Muslim before. She'd only been saved for nine months. And so she came up to the front, and I put my hand on her head, and boom, she just like, which usually doesn't happen a lot when I pray, because I don't know, I, I don't know if I really want it to happen when I pray. Except for I want people to get touched by God, but I don't want to, people to fall down because I tripped them or them to think that I'm spiritual. I want it to be legit God. This was legit God. I hardly touched this lady. She's like, boom, she went down. As soon as she hit the floor, she started shaking and trembling. And it wasn't the shaking and trembling that you say, wow, that looks fun. This looked like, oh, my gosh, she's having a straight-on demonic experience right now, and everyone in the room knew it. So their, their ministry team came over started holding this lady down and stuff, and John came over to help. I think you were over there helping too. And uh, and so I just I, I don't know, I can't extra- describe to you really, but I felt so excited in that moment. Now I have been scared around demonic activity before, where I feel like like creepy, tickly, weird things on your neck, like oh my gosh, what is going on here? But that wasn't one of them. I just finished preaching the message. Like I said, I was all like faithless charged, and I just like oh man, you expose yourself. You are coming out now. You, 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 we spot you, we got you. So, I mean, we came, I came out of the stage, she's on the floor, they're holding her down, and I just put my hand, I said, I told them, don't hold her so tight, because she can hurt herself, but she's really trying to fight. And Randy Clark tells stories of people actually having their arms and limbs broken during deliverance session, because the people were holding them so tight. It's not the person uh, we're, we're, we're fighting, it's the demon, okay? So we got to protect the person the best we can, don't let them bang their head and stuff like that, so... We were doing a good job protecting her, and I just stepped over some people. John was on my left. I put my hand on her head, and I was just like, I was just thinking this verse, love never fails. Love never fails. I just had it in my heart, love never fails. So I was just releasing the love of God to this girl. Just love never fails. And it wasn't that long, a couple of minutes. And, uh, oh, yeah, she was trying to, she was swinging her arms around like this and stuff, and John was on my left. I said, now, John, don't you let this lady punch me now. And he goes, I just might. <laughs> if, you, if you know John. You know, you can totally expect that he, that's exactly what he would say. So anyway, um, but even that moment, we had peace. We had peace. We were not afraid. We are just like, we are in the moment, not just afraid of the moment, but in the moment. So anyway, a couple minutes later, this lady goes, <sighs> like that. And she goes, something left me. And when she said that, we were the only three white guys in that building. But we became African-American, or no, African-African uh, in, a, in a second, I mean, I, I mean, you never saw this white guy dance like that before, I mean, or any of us. I mean, we were already hot, sweaty, and stinky, I'm sure, from the, the uh, situation we were in. We danced for at least 45 minutes. I was already so tired, but we just celebrated, not because it was such a shock, but, but just that Jesus is victor. He's victor. He's victorious. And so it was, it was just an awesome night. But in that meeting, there was a lady there who was a witch, and she saw this confrontation between good versus evil. And uh, I didn't know she was watching. I didn't know she was there. She saw this lady get delivered from demons who she worshipped demons. She celebrated demons. She saw demons had to leave and bow at the name of Jesus. 
So uh, she she was a little bit freaking out, but then she, was it you that prayed with her? One of the guys uh, led her to the Lord. She became saved. The next day she came back to church. Brought, I was going to show you the picture, but it was some kind of, there was some stuff in it that might have scared some of the kids. But she brought her stuff that she used for witchcraft, inc- incantations, and spells. And she brought it back to the church, and they burned it in the churchyard, just like this story. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? Me, Dave, Mark, John, we just got to be there to see it. Well, if you would have been there, you know who you are in Christ? Jesus sent you to go. Anybody can do it. Because greater is he's in you than he's in the world. So um, our next, next story, story number two, the fortune-telling lady that followed Paul around and got on his nerves. You guys remember that story? You got to read your Bible to see these stories, but they're in the Bible. They're everywhere. Acts 16. Starting with verse 16. Now it happened as he went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us. This is Luke, Luke speaking. Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So day after day this is going on. And then after a while, Paul got annoyed. That's what he says here. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very moment, that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplaces to the authorities. So this slave girl had, uh, she was owned by this, this group of men, group of people. And she had an evil spirit that allowed them to tell the future or fortune telling. Should I marry this guy? Should I do this? Should I do that? And she must have been pretty good at it or they wouldn't have made much money for their owners. Sad story, but that's what was going on. The word divination is from the Latin, is from the Latin original language. It means to foresee, to foretell, to predict, or to prophesy. So divination is an attempt to gain insight into a question or situation by way of an occultic process or ritual. It's going to some other source other than God to get information. I want you to notice something here. What she said was true. We think, you know, the Bible says that the devil's the father of lies, and he is. But she spoke the truth here. They were servants of the Most High God. They weren't going around telling everybody that how to get saved. But she did not get that information from the Holy Spirit. She got that information from a demonic spirit. So just because someone can tell you some fact or information about your life, your past, or something else going on, that doesn't mean the source they got the information from was from God. And God does not promote that. He does not accept that. You are open the door to demons in your life if you go to some other source for information other than him. Uh, it's just how it works. So I don't know what's going on on my iPad, but I just did it again. You guys should pray for my iPad. I think maybe the devil doesn't like my message. Hoping you like it better than he does. Come on. All right, let me tell a story for a second. The whole thing just disappeared. Let's see, almost there. Just leave you in awkward quiet for a little while. All right. Got it here. All right. Um, sorry about that. So even though the information she received was true, it was a fact. And after many days, Paul's like, would this woman just shut up? Oh, you know, we know who we are. Why, why is she doing this? Uh, he didn't cast out the spirit right away. He prayed about it, asked God about it until one day. He couldn't take it anymore. Commanded the spirit to go. And then Paul and Silas got arrested because they couldn't make money off this lady anymore. When you go to get fortune telling people, palm readers, psychic hotlines, in-person meetings with them, Zoom calls with them, trying to get information about your life, about your parents' life, about your grandparents, some other source, you are, without a shadow of a doubt, open the door to the demonic realm in your life. And I know a lot of you know this, but some uh, kids, some other people might not know this. They might have thought it was innocent because... What's the big deal? She's telling the truth. She wasn't even lying. What's the problem with that? But it's how she got the source of the information. It's kind of like, you know, you've ever been around somebody that prays. You hear them pray, 
And you think, well, that was a really nice prayer. But your heart feels grieved the whole time you're hearing them pray. All their words felt right. All their words sounded right. But your heart feels like grieved because this person is praying to get attention from man. The information they said might have been well, but the motivation of their heart was not right. It's very similar. If you get information from a demon, it's not good. All right? Okay. You good? Okay. All right. We're going to go on to the next one. Spend a little bit more time on this, this third one. But I think um, the more the church develops in the area of the gift of prophecy, in the real gift of prophecy, you know, legit, authentic, real, I think less and less likely are people going to try to go to fortune-telling people in psychics and hotlines to try to get information that they want. And I think it's more the church to blame than it is these people that are psychics and stuff. Some of them actually might have spiritual gifts that they've perverted and twisted with demonic help because the church says there's no such thing as those gifts anymore. Where is someone going to go to get some information and help in some prayer? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Who's wise among us? Who's, who hears the Spirit of God? Who, where can I go? And they go to a witch doctor. They, they, that's very common in uh, Africa and Uganda, places like that. There was a story I read. Um, Derek Prince was talking about he asked them, and there was 200 people in the crowd, how many of you have ever been to a witch doctor? And there was only either two or five people in the whole entire group that hadn't been there before. It's just common. And so today, we don't go to witch doctors, but we get it through television. We get it through Disney. He wants to teach people how to get dis- demonized. You look up the story. What's it called? Little Devil, I think it's called. There's a show they're coming up called, I think it's called Little Devil or something like that. And they actually teach incantations, chants, spells that are actually in witchcraft-type books to children. Because they want uh, the devil, I want to say Disney wants, so they're, they're just partnered with him. They want our children to be demonized, oppressed, suicidal, hateful, murderers, back, yeah, bound, act like the devil. So um, the church, when we stand up with the real prophetic word, the real power of God, and they see it just like the witch in Uganda. They see what's real. They don't want what's fake anymore. Amen? So we need to be that person. We need to be that group of people that can say, yeah, we might miss a prophetic word here and there, but I'm learning, but I'm growing, but I'm going to keep trying in this. Amen? All right, third story. This one is, I don't know, this one's maybe the weirdest of all. They're all weird to me. Where Saul, King Saul of the Old Testament, consults a medium. This is a weird story. Okay, we're going to read it together, okay? 1 Samuel 28, 3 through 20. Now, Samuel had died. That's the prophet Samuel. Remember, he's the one that heard God's voice, kept going to Eli and saying, what do you want? And he goes, no, go back to bed. I didn't say anything. Is this this guy years later. He died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spirits, spiritists out of the land. Say, out of the land. That's what we want too, amen? We want the mediums and the spirits out of the land. Not necessarily the people, but the, the spirits behind the people, amen? Verse 4, then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at uh, Shunem. So, uh, so Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilbo. When Saul, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dream or by Urim, which means casting lots, or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium in Endor. That's where you get the story from the witch of Endor and all this kind of stuff. It's from this story in Endor. Okay, so I want to point out something here. Paul's personal servants, there's two of them, his personal servants they know where there's a medium in the land. So who you hang out with um, says a lot about you, okay? They know. He, he asked them, said, oh, yeah, I know where's one. Paul, Saul, excuse me, was the one who kicked them out of the land, yet his closest confidants, his closest servants, they knew there was still one and didn't say anything to him. Okay, not, 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 that's not good. So verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman at, by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. 
Say what? That's in your Bible. You saw it, right? Okay. So look at what Saul's doing here. He obviously knows what he's doing is wrong. He's the one who kicks the mediums and the spirits out of the land. Yet what is he doing? He's coming at nighttime, and he's in a disguise. He doesn't want someone to know what he's doing. If you feel like you have to hide what you're doing for somebody else, you're probably doing something evil, something wrong. If you can't tell your mama, you can't tell your friend, you can't tell somebody, you're ashamed of it, embarrassed of it, you're going to hide it. Hiding is directly connected to the devil. Look what happened to Adam and Eve as soon as they sinned. They're hiding behind the bushes. They're hiding from God, okay? We don't need to hide. So that's why he, if he, was, if he knew he wasn't doing anything wrong, why didn't he just invite the lady into their camp? I just go get that lady at Endor, bring her to our place, walk her right through this, because he knew that his people that were still righteously serving God probably would have tried to take him over, kill him or something. They didn't want her around. So um, the devil is the one who wants us to keep things in secret. Your struggles, your addictions, your pain, your problems. He wants you to just like come into a church setting where everybody's comfortable and everything's, and they go and you, and you have these nice meetings and nothing really changes, nothing really shifts, and, but, it's, but it's a nice meeting. It's just, it's, it's nice. But no one's getting free. No one's getting delivered. No one's getting uh, anything. And they don't dare to bring their stuff out into the light because the spirit of pharisaical spirit will jump all over them and say, oh my gosh, I thought you were the deacon. I thought you were an elder. I thought you were the pastor. How could you possibly struggle with something like that? You know how? Because people are people. And if you don't create a safe place where people can come in and confess their struggles, they're never going to confess them, and they're not going to get set free. Because if you don't acknowledge you have bondage, you're not going to get free from the bondage. It's just how it works. But John 3, 19 21 says this, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, which is very sad. But why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have, they have been done in God. So the one who does the truth has nothing to hide. The one who does evil tries to hide things. You can't tell your wife that. You can't tell your sister that, your brother that. You can't tell that. They're going to reject you. They're, gonna, they're not going to talk to you anymore. They're going to hate you. That voice is 100% of the time always from the enemy. Now, God will give you wisdom to not tell blabbermouth down the street. That's different. Definitely don't tell whoever that person is in your life. You know people that have earned your confidence and who haven't. But if you, can't, if you have no one in your life that you can confess your faults to, your sins to, your struggles, your addictions, whatever, you're living in the fear of your life. You okay? Love you. If you can't trust me to say, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with porn, will you help me? I'll say, yes, I will. Been there, done that, have victory in it. Victory in it. And you can too. I have trouble with addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to whatever. You can be delivered and set free, but it's not going to happen. You don't ever tell anybody. Okay? So the one who does evil is the one who tries to hide things. It makes you feel like you need to hide it as well. Ephesians 5, 12, and 13 says this. For it is shameful even to mention those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. So again, going back to King Saul. He went by night wearing a disguise. He didn't want anyone to know what he was doing because he knew that his deeds were evil. He didn't want to come in the daytime. He didn't want to fight her to the camp. He knew it was bad. In verse 9, the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to, to cause me to die? He's like, you're trying to trick me. You're going to get me to confess to this, and then you're going to kill me. Verse 10, Saul, and Saul swore to her by the Lord. Wow. He swore to a medium spirit in a lady by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Oh, my gosh, what happened to Saul? What happened to him? Verse 11, the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. All right, you guys read this before? Okay, I'm just making sure, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks this is a crazy story. Verse 12, 
When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. She freaked out. Oh, my gosh, because there's something different about Samuel than other people she must have called out before. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. She realized somehow supernaturally that he was the king. And now she's thinking she's going to die. She screamed. This woman had this very alarming experience. She saw something, and she saw, well, it tells what she saw in a minute. But she was afraid she was going to die right then, and she screamed. Verse 13. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And, Paul, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped uh, with his face to the ground and bowed down. Wow. Wow, right? Okay. Notice the prophet Saul, he had not received a glorified body yet. It says he was still an old man. But he also still had his prophetic mantle. Okay? Now, again, I am not encouraging you to do this. This is not a good story. This is not in the Bible to tell you what to do. It's in the Bible to tell you to never do this. Because Saul ended up dying the next day. Him and his whole family. Okay? The next day. Um, so before Christ and the saints... Uh, before Christ was risen from the, from the dead, the saints used to live in a place called Sheol until an appointed time. Um, the, the, uh, the ones that were lost lived in a place called Hades. The ones that were found or in, in the, believed under the Lord, they lived in Sheol. And, uh, um, and so when they died, they didn't go to heaven like today we do. Like the absolute body was present with the Lord. In the Old Testament, when they die, they're put in this holding place. If they were had their faith in a future Messiah... They were good. If they didn't, they were in another place. And I'll show you this in case you're wondering, like, what is Pastor talking about today? He's going crazy town. Well, the Bible is full of crazy town stories. I'm just going to tell you. It it's just is. Listen to this one. This is Jesus said this. Luke 16, 19-26. There was a certain rich man, a certain one. It means he was a real person. Okay? He didn't say make believe or imaginary. A certain person, rich man, who was clothed in purple in fine linen, and fared uh, sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from his, the rich master's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This guy had a rough life. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. It's a cool picture right there. But the rich man also died and was buried. He didn't have any angelic people carrying him around. He was just put in the dirt. And being in torment in Hades, the same guy, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in torment in this flame. Very um, edifying story. Very like, oh my gosh, this is, it's, it's the Bible. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it says he led captivity captive in his train. He emptied Sheol, the righteous side of, of Hades, or in Sheol, he emptied it. So now, going back to this story, what Saul did here, if someone goes to a medium to try to bring up your grandmother from the dead, and she was in Christ, she's not there. But a demon spirit would be there. And she probably, they could probably find out a few facts from somebody on your grandmother. Because they're watching to observe us, looking for who they may devour, right? Does the Bible say that? I hope you guys can handle this, but I'm just trying to protect you from, uh, I know people that have dabbled in these things, Ouija boards, fortune telling, thinking they're talking to their dead dad or their dead grandmother, and all they're really doing is talking to demons, open the door to demons in life, and their life goes from worse to worse to worse, and some of them come to church, and they can't figure out why they're so bound and why they have all these problems. It's because you're not doing it God's way. We can't do it God's way. We've got to do it Yahweh, his way. Amen? So... Some of the, there's, there's some strange stories again in the Bible, but when a medium, uh, someone calls on a medium today, there's TV shows of one called 
I don't know, Brooklyn Medium or something. I can't remember what it's called now. It was years ago. It used to be on TV. There's stuff like this on television, on the Internet for people to watch. They're actually doing seances and stuff like that and teaching people how to do it. Levitation and different weird things. I'm telling you, kids, young people, that might look super cool. It might look fun for a little bit, but I don't do it. Don't do it. Okay? I touched the Ouija board before by the grace of God a couple times. And by the grace of God, the thing wouldn't work when I touched it. It wasn't because I'm Mr. Righteous Holy Guy. It was because the grace of God and my grandparents and parents' prayers is what I think it was. Because I, I've read other stories where somebody touched it one time and were severely demonized. Uh, in fact, I, I read this story about a group of kids in China that the teacher left to go do something in the classroom. She left the class, and they had a Ouija board in the classroom. Why on earth would they have one in the class? But they did because when they're in their game section, which is where they send to put those things. That's not a game, okay? That's bringing demons into people's lives. It's not a game. It's not like checkers, okay? So the, they started playing with this Ouija board. I'm not sure who was leading it. And every kid in the room when the teacher came back was manifesting demons, and she didn't know what was going on. So that could have happened to me. But by the grace of God, it didn't, at least not in that way. So um, after this happened, uh, here's another part of the weird story. Samuel actually talks to Saul through this medium lady, the witch of Endor. Verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore neither by prophet nor by dream. Therefore, I call to you that you may re reveal to me what I should do. So he goes to, he just kicked all the spiritists and mediums out of the land. Then he goes to a dead guy to try to find out what to do. This guy's in a desperate place. Verse 16. Then Samuel said, why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he's spoken by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done these things to you this day. Now, Amalek was someone they used to sacrifice babies to and worship. You've probably seen them in video games. They have the, the creature sometimes named Amalek. It's someone they sacrifice babies to um, in, in history. It's disgusting. Um, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And the next day, that's exactly what happened. The army of Israel was turned uh, over to the Philistines, and uh, Jonathan, Saul, and his other sons were all killed in battle that day. So um, that was a bad thing, a bad thing they did. But, you know, King Saul wasn't always a bad guy. He's the first ever king of Israel. He started off really well. He had he, Things went really well in the first two years, but things started going downhill after that. You know, uh, pride, doesn't, the Bible doesn't actually say pride goes before the fall. Do you know it doesn't say that? 90% of the time when I hear someone quote, pride goes before the fall, if you look at the Bible, it doesn't say that. It says pride goes before destruction. A haunting spirit is like a fall, before the fall. Pride was in Saul's life, and after a couple of years of being praised by people and celebrated as the first ever king, he's tall, handsome, good-looking, had uh, a bunch of wives. Pride got into this guy's heart, which was an open door for the enemy. But um, the people in this situation, and I want to show you the, Paul's two offenses before this story happened. In Saul's third year as king, a huge Philistine army came uh, around them, similar to what we see in this other story. And the people were terrified Running and fleeing, they were terrified, afraid that, what are we going to do? Are we going to die? Are these Philistines are way more people than us. Are we going to die? And they started pressuring Saul for an answer. What do we do? Seek the Lord. What are we doing? Are we fighting these guys? Are we fleeing? What's the plan? And he couldn't get one. He couldn't hear God. And uh, Samuel hadn't arrived at, on the scene yet. So he started feeling pressure from other people. And he responded to this pressure by taking matters into his own hands. And he called for someone to come bring him a... Um, a, a, excuse me, a peace offering, excuse me, and a burnt offering. He brought these animals to, to sacrifice. And Saul sacrificed these animals to the Lord, something that was forbidden for the king to do. Only the priest could do that. And right after he finished uh, killing this burnt offering, sacrificing this burnt offering, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? That was defense number one. 
Fence number two, um, Saul was given the command to destroy the uh, Amalekites in all their possessions, including their cattle, their oxen, their camels, their donkeys. Nothing was to be spared. I know this is very harsh. If you go back and read it, but that's what the word said here. And God had a reason for that. We don't always know why. But King Saul didn't obey fully. And, you know, when, when Samuel approached him later, he said, what? I, I did what God said. And he, he really didn't. Okay, King Saul and his men let the king of the Amalekites live, who was the worst guy of all of them. They let him live. They destroyed everything that was worthless. Well, they despised, well, I don't want that. Let's destroy that. That's junk. Oh, that's, we don't need any more junk in our house. Let's destroy that. But everything that was valuable and worth money, they kept it, and they let their, their men that fought in the battle keep it as well as plunder. And then he, he tells Samuel he did what he was told to do. It's hard to understand that. So, um, but either way, uh, the, the people told Samuel, Saul told Samuel that he did, the people kept this stuff to be uh, used as a sacrifice for, to, unto the Lord. Now, whether that's true or not, they were really going to sacrifice these animals they were supposed to kill to the Lord. I don't know, but either way, it doesn't matter. They disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. God said to destroy them, not to keep them. So Samuel 15, 22 and 23 says this. So Samuel said this. Has the Lord uh, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, here it is, is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. In the very next chapter is where we get that verse we read, it, I think, two weeks ago. It said, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord came and troubled him. And some versions say came and tormented him. So Saul started off well. He was doing well. He was popular, good looking. Everyone liked him. He was obeying God the first couple of years. But when the going got tough and people started putting this pressure on him to do something, he yielded to the pressure of the people instead of yielding to the word of the Lord. And, you know, we do that in our lives today, too. We call that peer pressure. Well, you know, What's it going to hurt? I mean, they did it. And nothing happened to them. They tried drugs. Nothing happened to them. They smoked pot. Nothing happened to them. Well, what happens when it's laced with fentanyl? What's happened when it's laced with this or laced with that? What happens then? Well, nothing happens. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes people die from that. All right? And sometimes when you're smoking pot, you're opening the doors to demons in your life. Not just sometimes. Pretty much every time. Not just pot. Any kind of drug that you're trying to use for some other reason to make your life better or something, you're opening the door not to God to help you in this situation. You're opening the the door to demons to mess with your life. I mean, I'm preaching good, but I don't know if you all like it. Um, I'm just trying to give you some warnings and some counsel that um, people do it. People you know do this stuff. And I remember talking to a guy in this church one time, and he said, told him about how drugs is an open door to the devil. He goes, even pot? He was stunned. Couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, pot. Yeah. It's even pot. Okay. Sorry to bust your bubble, but yeah. So at the end of Paul's life, the Philistine army returned, and fear and possibly that pressure again came on Saul, and he said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know. I can't hear God. God's not going to tell me anything. The prophets don't tell me anything. I'm going to go to the witch of Endor. I'm going to go to the medium and find out what I'm supposed to do. And what started small in the first offense were the pressure of people where he started, did the sacrifice, pressure of the people. He had to find out, and uh, he he did the other things that were, were, God said were evil in his eyes by not, people pressured him. We want to keep this gold. Look at this. Look at the size of those diamonds. Look at the size of that gold nugget. We don't want to burn this stuff. And I think that people pressured him into uh, into doing what they wanted, and he conceded to be popular in the eyes of the people. And when he did, uh, the devil, he said, the spirit of the Lord departed from him, and a spirit, a troubling spirit came on him. So what lessons can we learn from these stories today? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. I mean, we all have had peer pressure. We've always had people tell us, you know, um, try this, do this, whether it's school or whatever. You can even have peer pressure in church. You can have peer pressure in your family. But if the voice of the Lord hasn't told you to do something, you need to ask him. Maybe something you're not supposed to do. Because there's things in your life that might affect you differently than someone else's life. Like where I had the prayer covering, these other Chinese kids, they didn't have prayer covering. 
So um, the thing went off again. I got to get my tech team to check my thing. So they had a cool ending for this, but I just have to wing it. But, but um, I was going to do a whole summary, but now I have to remember it all, the summary. But anyway, um, don't let pressures a man cause you to disobey what you know is right. And if you have, open the door to the demon, to demons in your life by going to a seance, to going to the Ouija board, going with some of those things that don't come from the Lord. You need to put it into the light, put it out in the light, broad daylight, and tell people and get delivered from spirits. Because they might not be bothering you now, but one day the devil's going to come calling. Okay? You say you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You might not feel the manifestation of the demonic presence on day one. But one day, he's going to come knocking, and he's like, you owe me something. I know that sounds spooky, and I'm not trying to make it sound spooky. I'm just trying to tell you, there is danger on the other side. There's protection on the other side of the door of Jesus. There, but he is trying to get in some other way. And we can't open the door for the enemy and expect nothing's going to happen. Okay? We can't open it and expect, well, I'm okay. I, I, well, I'm still a good person. Yeah, you can go be a good person, and guess what? You can still go to hell. I mean, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, you can still go to hell, but you can still go to heaven. But you can go to heaven uh, and still have demons. They'll leave before you get there, but on that little transition time. But on, up to the time you're going, you can still have some, and they're going to torment you. You hear wars, rumors of wars and things. You go into a panic attack. Well, guess what? Jesus never had a panic attack. Okay? As he is, so are we in this world. I'm not trying to condemn anyone who has those. They're serious. They're bad. They're, they're bad. It's anxiety and stuff. But guess what? Sometimes you don't just need uh, Wellbutrin or whatever else they give out for different things like the anxiety. You need deliverance from a demonic spirit that's making you feel so scared you're going to die. Some people are so afraid they don't even leave their house. They have to get the neighbors to come get them groceries and stuff because they're so terrified. What happened? Something happened in their life. I remember doing the deliverance to the lady, well, a pre-meeting for deliverance to the lady here years and years ago. Just so you, know, you won't figure out who it is except for Laura. So anyway, um, years and years ago, and we asked this lady, have you ever done any of these things that open the door to the enemy in your life? And she said no to every one of them. And then as me went on and she remembered things, she had done every one of them multiple times. I mean, multiple times. I was stunned. I was trying not to show it because she was had that pasture face on. So like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this lady did all this stuff because didn't, it didn't look like that kind of a person. But she had totally opened the door to demons in her life, and she was tormented. And this lady rarely ever left her house, had to get friends go get her groceries because she was so demonized and tormented. And, again, I'm not telling this to scare you. I'm telling this to empower you. We're called to cast out demons, not called to receive demons. We're called to kick them out of houses, not let them into our house, okay? And so one of the ways we don't let them in is by don't do stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing. And don't give way to feeling peer pressure. When people press you into drugs, alcohol, sex, or whatever, you're opening the door to something, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Okay? Love you. Telling you like I would my own kids, because I don't want you to go through stuff like this. It's not good. And you kids back there, too, you're not exempt. In the Bible, children were demonized. Is it in the Bible? The girl's daughter was. The guy's son was. Uh, you know, it's not just, it's, it can be anybody. All right? Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, amen, but you don't have to stay that way. And Jesus is victor overall. Just like that girl who was a Muslim her whole life, saved for nine months, that day she got delivered. And we praise God for that. So why don't you guys stand? I want to pray a blessing on you guys. Hope these stories didn't freak you out. But you know what? If they do, read your Bible more because they're there. And they're fun. And some of them are funny. And they're just, they're, just imagine putting yourself there, how you'd react in that situation. And that might make you laugh. <laughs> like, oh, boy. So uh, at some point in your life, if you have these issues, God's going to make it clear to you. And you have two choices. You can harden your heart and hide and pretend like it's not real. Or you can come out in the light where it can be spotted and get real help. And I tell you, I've tried both ways, and then the light's much better. It's so much better. It just is. Normally, I'll just tell you just a, just a little testament of me. Normally when my iPad would go off like that, when I first started preaching here, man, I'd start having sweat going down the side of my head. I'd start panicking. Oh, gosh, I'm not going to remember what I'm going to say. They're all staring at me. The things, it happened three times a day. It's never happened three times before. It's, it's happened before, but not three times. 
I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying that there is an inner peace that you can have where it's, you know, it, it's just an iPad. It's okay. It's okay. And maybe it's something different for you. It's your whatever it is. But I'm telling you, you're not going to get freedom through hiding. You get freedom from bringing it into the light. And that's what Jesus wants. That's why he came. That's why the Israelites were so offended with him because they thought he was coming to deliver them from the Romans, but he was coming to deliver them from Satan. And they didn't understand. So I want to pray for you to have courage. And if you need help, let me know. And we'll love you into a healthy experience. Amen. No broken bones or anything like that. And honestly, most of the people we pray for, they don't manifest like that. It is in the Bible. Uh, and I have seen some weird things in Uganda and places. It is in the Bible. But they foamed at the mouth and stuff like that. But the majority of people that we do deliverance on do not do anything like that, just so you know. It's another thing that tries to keep people away. The seven sons of Sceva story, and they, they might manifest like this, keep people away. Guess what? Even if you did, do you want to be free or not? There's literally demons messing with your brain and your emotions, and we're too prideful because we might do something weird. God help us. How bad do you really want to be free? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your children. And I thank you. What your word says, he who the son makes free is free indeed. And they will know the truth and the truth will make them free. And God, I pray if you are stirring hearts and people uh, today that, hey, that might be me. Hey, I might have something going on here that's not quite godly. Hey, I may have done something to open the door to something, or someone in my family may have done something to open the door. Um, but Pastor Ryan's saying, I can get free from that. I could tell him he's not going to shun me, and I'm not. I just pray, God, right now that you would release boldness. Boldness, one, to be a deliverance minister, and boldness, two, to come forward when, with your own stuff and trust somebody to get help when you need it. God, I bless your children. I love them, you love them, and I thank you for each one of them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're not doing any mass deliverances right here, so you know. But uh, just so you need something, it's not a joke. I know I'm making light and just to help you relax and maybe me too. But, but if you do need help, please let me know because we do have training and we'll help you any way we can. So God bless you guys. Love you. You are dismissed.